Oh, what's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis, aka your mom's favorite personal trainer, aka Let's Get It, aka Let's Work, aka Always Working, aka Beatrice Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 135, season four of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's February 5th, 2023. It's Sunday fun day, man. So this might be one of the shortest episodes of the year. And you're probably going to hear me say that a bunch of times, but whatever. This is how we do. So anyway, got a lot to cover. Last episode, we talked about running and lifting weights within the same fitness programming or the same workout routine. So if you're somebody who likes to run and lift weights and you're interested in some tips and techniques or just ways that you can approach both running and lifting uh, within the same exercise program, you can go back into the feed and you can check out episode 134 for all of the dibs and details on that. Uh, In the world of finance, in the last episode, we talked about retirement pension expenses, a.k.a. 401ks. And then we gave a brief economic update. So today, we're going to talk about 10 reasons why you're not making progress in the gym uh, and in the kitchen. But before we do that, I just want to say, new country is getting crunchy. Shout out to Spain. We now have listeners in Spain. All right. This is our 27th country. So we got 27 countries backing us, listening in um, and apparently enjoying the content. So I definitely appreciate everybody in Spain and everybody in, you know, all of the other 26 countries, man. Definitely appreciate it. We trying to grow, man. Uh, Last one was Ghana, which is in West Africa. Now we in Spain with it. You know what I'm saying? Uh. I mean, man, muy bueno, you feel me? Like, yo, I do speak a little bit of Spanish. Un poquito más, like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway, let me get into this, man, because I don't have a lot of time. Now, um, as far as uh, reasons why you would not make progress in the gym, we got 10 reasons. So I'm going to go through these pretty quick. I'm not going to give a lot of details, but... St- it can still be helpful. Um, and of course, do your Googles, do your own research, consult with uh, your own doctor, dietitian, nutritionist. Yeah, like I'm just here giving you informational, uh, inf- like just informational entertainment for the most part. But anyway, man, let's get into it. So 10 reasons why you're not making progress within your fitness journey. Number one, you're eating too much. If you're eating too much and you're trying to lose weight, that's going to cause you to gain weight. If you're eating too much and your goal is to lose weight. So that's number one. Number two, not eating enough. So for the thinner people out there who really struggle with their diet in terms of getting enough calories in and or trying to build muscle, you need to be eating in a calorie surplus. So if you're not eating enough, you're not going to gain weight. 
Ergo, you're not going to have enough energy to lift heavier weights. Ergo, you're not going to build any muscle or grow enough or have enough energy. Because also, too, energy in, energy out. Your food is your energy. So if you're not eating enough, you're not going to have enough energy to lift heavier weights. If you're somebody who's trying to build muscle um, or just gain weight in general, healthier weight. Um, going back to number one, eating too much is going to put you in a calorie surplus. If you're trying to lose weight, you don't want to be in a calorie surplus. You want to be in a calorie deficit. If you're in a calorie surplus, that means you're eating more calories than your maintenance calories. You have a metabolic set rate like your body adapts over time to a certain amount of calories that you're eating and your weight usually will fluctuate i don't know give or take five pounds or so just throughout the week in general whatever you're eating whatever you're drinking you may be a little bit lighter a little bit heavier some days so again if you are trying to lose weight this is going back to number one you need to be in a calorie deficit but if you're eating too much you're not going to hit that goal. Again, going back to number two, if you're trying to gain weight um, and build muscle, more specifically, you need to eat enough food. But if you're not eating enough, you're not going to build muscle. And you need to be in a calorie surplus if you're trying to gain muscle or gain weight. Now, number three, not getting enough sleep. Not getting enough sleep is going to cause a lot of health complications and issues. Um, it's also going to uh, cause you to have cravings for salty or sugary foods as well. Um, and fellas, it's definitely going to do some damage to your sex drive. Like, yeah. So make sure you're getting enough sleep. You want to get, you know... Obviously, eight to nine hours every single day if it's, if it's possible for you, which there's 24 hours in a day, so I don't see why not. Um, because, again, if you're not sleeping enough, you will gain weight. Your body will store energy as fat. Um, it just it has your hormones out of whack. You could become depressed, um, just like super up and down, like very emotional. Uh, yeah, there's all types of different health complications. You know, it can increase the likelihood of you developing dementia, you know, cardiac issues or issues with your heart and, and the list goes on. So make sure you're getting enough sleep. Number four reason why you're not making progress in the gym, because you have improper form. Improper form leads to injuries. If you're injured, you cannot work out. If you cannot work out, you're not going to make progress in the gym. You're not going to be a happy camper if you got injuries that are stopping you from making progress. So make sure that you have proper form. You know, find an online coach or a coach in person that has good form and they know how to explain things and break things down in a way that you would understand it as far as the movements. Look at, you know, uh, just video tutorials of a fitness influencer or trainer that you highly respect and learn from their form. Um, because a lot of people get injured because of shitty ass form. So please make sure you have good form so that you can continue to make progress in the gym. Number five, not training hard enough. If you're not training hard enough, you're not going to reach your full potential. If you don't reach your full potential, you're not going to make progress. Like you have to train hard. You have to learn how to push yourself. If you don't have a coach or a trainer, that's fine. You need to tap in 
to that that you know that savage that inner animal inside of you you got to find a way to be able to push yourself make a playlist of you know some some songs that hype you up or whatever the case may be whatever you need to do to get pumped up in the gym so that you can train harder you need to be doing that because i see a lot of people in the gym and they don't train hard at all they do not train hard at all like i see it all the time people be in the gym doing half-ass reps doing these like just goofy shit like i see a lot of goofy shit in the gym and it's just like yo train hard man you know now obviously you have to you have to limit the amount of intensity as far as like the consecutive days in a row that you train so this isn't to say you should be going 100 percent every single rep, every single set, uh, every single training session, every single workout. No. But if you're training, you know, for, okay, let's just, I got to go with my own example because yeah, it's just easier to do it. But basically like I train three days a week right now because I actually, you know, as I get older, I really appreciate, you know, the amount of rest that I get in between training. But anyway, I train three days and I just, I do them consecutively. However, one day, I will train and I mix it up a little bit. But anyway, basically the first day that I train, I train super duper hard, super intense. Like every rep counts, every set counts. Like, you know, I'm going to the max. I'm, I'm each, each set I'm doing to failure. Um, progressive overload. I'm adding more weight to the bar, uh, or to whatever machine I'm, I'm using. I'm really pushing myself to the absolute max until I can't do anything anymore um, for the first day. The second day, it's a little moderate. And also, too, I work on other body parts so that way the first day's body parts can can repair themselves and start to begin to heal. Um, but, yeah, the second day, same thing. Like, I don't go as hard. It's, like, moderate. The third day that I train is, like, super-duper light, very, very light. Um almost feels like I don't, I don't even, it doesn't even feel like a workout to, to a certain, to a certain degree. Um, and yeah, it's like me training three days in a row at 100% intensity and effort. You're going to get the law of diminishing returns. You're not going to make progress. All right. So yeah, make sure you're training hard. Like, you got to train hard, man. You got to train hard. Just don't do it every single training session or don't train hard every single workout. Pick and choose the days, man. If you got four days that you're supposed to train, all right, at least one of those days you need to be training at 100% maximum effort. Now, the other three days, you can start to dial it down uh, or deload, possibly. It just depends on your programming. It's going to be different for every single person. But for me, if I was training four days... I would do two hard days and then I would do one moderate day and then the fourth day would be extremely light, extremely easy. Just break a little sweat, burn a couple calories, keep things loose. Um, but yeah, man, make sure you're training hard. Just don't overdo it, which now getting into number six. Uh, yeah, like training too much or training too hard, which very rarely do I see this ever happen. Um, but it has happened to me before because, yeah, I used to be just 
a psycho, man. Like, I would train seven days a week, and I tried to go hard, like, you know, at least four of those days. But it was it was beginning to be too much. And the problem with training too much is, after a while, you're actually going to diminish your progress. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to get injured. You're going to push your muscles way, way too far to where they don't recover. If you're not recovering, again, you're going to run into injuries. So, yeah, the law of diminishing returns. Train hard, but don't overdo it. Now, number seven, um, injury. If you're injured, again, your your workouts are going to suck. Or, even worse, you're not going to be able to work out at all. So, again, make sure you have proper form. Make sure you're warming up and cooling down before and after workouts. Make sure you have a deload week. Um, make sure you have a deload day, at least one deload day throughout your week, each week that you train. Again, you're not... You're not trying to go 100% every single session. Um, some days is all about maintenance work, what I call maintenance work. Like right, like right now, for those of you who, who don't know, um, I'm training for uh, an official uh, half marathon, like a competitive one with a bunch of other people or whatever, um, even though I'm just focusing on my own goals and everything. But yeah, like same thing. It's just like um, just... You want to have days where, okay, at least one day I run super hard. I try to give it my all. I try to give it everything I've got. Okay, second day, I'm going to go pretty moderate. The third day is what I like to call maintenance work or pitter-patter work. So instead of me, okay, if I have a five-miler the first day, I'm going to run my five-miler. I'm going to give it everything I've got. The second day... We just go and chill. We might do half of that, maybe two and a half miles or so, moderate intensity or whatever. Get the blood flowing, get a nice little sweat. By the third day, I'll be lucky if I even do a mile. I want to keep the flow going. I want to work on my mechanics, make sure my breathing is is good, as I've mentioned in previous episodes. But also, too, I want to start to recover and you want to get some blood flowing so that way you can start to stimulate and lubricate your muscles, your ligaments, your tendons, and your joints. But yeah, man, you 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 know, you don't want to do more do more harm than good. You want to make sure that you you balance out your routine, you balance out your training regimen, your training days, the volume, the amount of reps and sets that you're doing like some days you got to just go in the gym and hit three by tens on everything like because it's a it's a deload day or whatever. Or maybe you're doing a deload week where you just start to gradually decrease the amount of weight and the amount of reps and sets that you're doing. So that way you can give your body time to, to rest and recover properly. And also, too, again, so that you're not getting injured. Now, getting into number eight. The number eight reason why you're not making progress in the gym and in the kitchen on your fitness journey is because you're not minding your own damn business. Shout out to Theron Theron, one half of our city. He always talks about that. And I think that's the name of his company. He's a songwriter. Um, But yeah, like mind your own business. Stop worrying about what other people are doing. Um, You know, like when you're in the gym, work out. Stop fucking talking to people and, and chatting and looking at whoever you're looking at or trying to get with people or this and that. Go to the gym. Get in your workout and get the hell out of there. If you want to be social, go, go, you know, go for some food and drinks or something. 
I don't know. Like, go for a walk. Go to a go to networking events if you want to talk. When you're in the gym, you should be working out. You shouldn't be bullshitting. Um, but also, too, stop worrying about what other people are doing. Stop worrying about other people's workouts. Uh, stop looking at what other people are working on in terms of their business or their, you know, their fitness journey or whatever. Like it's about you and your personal progress and you trying to become the healthiest version of you and the best version of you possible while you're here on this earth. And that comes with minding your business. Worry about your own business. Worry about yourself. Now, the number nine reason why you are not making progress in the kitchen and in the gym on your fitness journey as a whole is because you're getting bad advice. Maybe what I'm telling you is bad advice. I don't know. Do your Googles, do your research. Don't just listen to me um, just because it's me or just because of whatever reason why you decided to listen to this. Like, really do the research. Like, don't listen to the nonsense on the internet. There's a lot of bullshit on the internet. So that can cause you to do things that are, are not, you know, they're just not beneficial to your progress in the gym. Or they're not beneficial to your nutritional needs. And it's just like, man, once again, you're doing more harm than good. Um, so, yeah, stop listening to bad advice. And the best way to stop listening to bad advice is to focus on number 10. The number 10 reason why you are not making progress in the gym and in the kitchen and on your fitness journey as a whole is, is, is due to lack of research. You don't want to study and learn about fitness and how it works and ways that you can improve your own fitness based on your basal metabolic rate, based on your body mass index, based on your genetic predispositions, uh, based on your own personal goals and where you're trying to be at in the next one, two, three, five years, 10 years, 20 years, like study, learn, you know, look at some articles online. Like it's not that serious. It ain't that deep. Like you're not that lazy. Um, you know, yeah, if you really want this, man, like you got it, you got to learn the ropes. You got to go through the processes of digesting information that is that is backed by research and that is beneficial to you personally. It's going to be different for every single person. So what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for you. So you, this is why you need to do research. Study your body, learn your body, but also learn some of the fitness principles, Um you know, and different things like that, man. So that way you can really make the best progress possible on your journey. Now, I know that was really fast, but if you enjoyed today's fitness portion of this episode, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. Now, I'm going straight into it. We're not cutting it or nothing like that. Getting into the world of finance. Like I said earlier, last episode, we talked about 401ks and just gave some of the some of the breakdowns of that uh, in the annual reports or the form 10K reports. Now, getting into the economic update briefly, the S&P 500 at the close on Friday was at four thousand one thirty six point four eight or fourteen point one five percent from the January 2022 highs of forty eight eighteen point six two. So, yeah, I mean, essentially what's happening is we're in a bear market. But if you if you saw how the market was on Wednesday, those are things known as bear market rallies. But of course, there are some analysts and professionals in the world of finance that say, no, the trend is bullish. Like we finna go up from here. So there's no telling what the hell is going to happen. But basically, yeah. 
we're we're down 14% from the highest levels of the S&P 500. Um, so yeah, we're not looking too saucy. Um, now, interest rates. Interest rates were just raised again by another 25 basis points. The federal funds rate, which is the rate that is uh, that is given or charged to uh, to commercial banks for overnight loans, the Fed funds rate now is at four and a half. Uh, it's between four and a half percent and four and three quarters percent. That's the range right now. So uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, he thinks that the economy can get down to two percent inflation without a big decrease or downturn in unemployment, according to a Reuters report. Now, I don't know. Maybe he's being optimistic. Maybe he's just playing games with the market. Um, I really don't know. And also, too, another thing with the Federal Reserve is they're very data dependent. So they wait on information to come out. They analyze that information and then they come up with a decision in order to figure out, Okay, this is what we're going to do next with monetary policy. So, yeah, him saying that he thinks the economy can get down to 2% inflation without a big downturn in unemployment is very, very, very interesting. And I've only been studying markets. This is my third year, third or fourth year. Um, yeah, my third year. And man, let me tell you, a lot of people were very, very surprised by what he was saying. Some people weren't. Um, but yeah, I think he's just... He might be playing cat and mouse with the market as a whole because the market tries to, you know, anticipate or beat him to the punch or the Federal Reserve to the punch. Or some people just try to fight the Fed. And I think that the Federal Reserve is very aware of that. So they're, they're trying to find other ways, you know, to give forward guidance um, again, just to get people to have a sense of clarity, but also a sense of calm. So, yeah, with that being said. The labor market is still at a 50-year low. So the most recent jobs report came in at 3.4% versus the previous 3.5%. So the labor market is still ridiculously tight. Like crazy tight, right? It hasn't been as tight in 50 years. So that's another issue for the Federal Reserve. Um, and that's another issue as well. Um, I forgot to mention, I don't think I mentioned this in the last episode, but anyway, like again, they raised interest rates, 25 basis points on Wednesday. The jobs report came out the same week on a Friday. And of course, what do you know? More people are getting jobs. So one of the things is it's basically like this and I'll try to just do it quick and then wrap it up. But pretty much if more people have jobs, that means that more people are, are earning money. They're earning income. Now, especially right now in inflationary times like this, when prices are elevated, there's a lot of wage growth happening. So if people are getting, if more people are getting jobs and they're getting raises on top of those jobs, guess what's going to happen? Lifestyle creep. Um, they're going to buy more things almost inadvertently. Ergo, prices are going to remain high because the demand is going to increase around higher wages. Ergo, supply may or may not become scarce, which also drives prices up even more. Ergo, you got more inflation on top of more inflation. The Federal Reserve is not into that at all. Um, that terrifies them because if you do a little bit of research in the 1970s, inflation went crazy. 
at one point, I guess it, it kind of sort of went like this. And I got to go back and do more research on this. So please forgive me uh, if I'm butchering this. But anyway, this was uh, around the time I believe that uh, the chairman at that time in the 70s, uh, I forget what year, but uh, it was Paul Volcker. But anyway, I guess like right before he came in, inflation got super duper like it got out of control. Um, it basically became runaway inflation. It just, it couldn't stop. It spiraled out of control. Um, people were kind of panicking. Nobody really knew what to do. Uh, the chairman, Paul Volcker came in, he raised the prime rate to 20%. If my, if my knowledge is correct, 20%. So basically he raised interest rates by 20% to bring down inflation like, do you know the type of damage that that did at that time? I wasn't I wasn't born then. I was born in 1988. But like, could you imagine right now if Jerome Powell said, we're going to raise the federal funds rate or we're going to raise interest rates as a whole. Nominally, we're going to raise them another 20%. Like, all hell would break loose. We would, we would be almost in a state of like an economic depression, like 1929 times, you know, like, man. So, yeah. That is all of me saying that is a part of the reason why the Federal Reserve wants to essentially have unemployment increase. It sounds crazy, but again, if, the, if enough people lose their jobs, number one thing is the wage growth will decrease. Number two, people won't have a means to survive and do things, buy things that they need to buy, pay their bills. Or just buy like extra accessories, nonsense. If they can't do that, then the demand for products, goods and services is going to drop. If it drops, companies are going to start to lose money. Uh, but ultimately, what will happen is inflation will come down. And that's what the Federal Reserve wants. So this is one of the reasons why they're always, you know, looking at the labor market and the jobs data. But anyway, man. Um, I don't want to get too much into that. Honestly, at this point in my financial journey, as far as like be being a financial enthusiast, like I'm, 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 I'm low key a Fed watcher. As as somebody who, you know, admires the likes of you know a Warren Buffett or a Charlie Munger or you know a Peter Lynch or a Monish Pabrai, like I sh I. The focus, it is and always will be businesses and the microeconomic environment. But man, like what what happens with the Federal Reserve? It's interesting to me. And also as well as I'm coming from a zero background as far as like the understanding of it from from a few years ago. So once I started to find out about what the Federal Reserve was, what they did, how they how they how they interact, how they, you know, monitor and control, you know, monetary policy. It just became fascinating to me, especially in regards to their influence on financial markets like the bond market and the stock market. So forget to all the value investors out there. Forgive me for being so macro based. Um, yes, I do focus on the macro. Obviously, you know, 
I look at 10K reports and I focus on the micro. I look at businesses and and I try to, you know, get I'm, I want to get to a point where I figure out, OK, what is this business worth? What is the margin of safety? You know, what's the current cost of capital? Um, you know, just whether a business has a competitive advantage or a moat, just all types of different things. Um, discounted cash flows, uh, all, all of that. Like I look at all that stuff, too. But of course, I'm starting from ground zero. So, of course, the Federal Reserve is like a yeah, it's it can be interesting to the untrained eye. So that's another part of the reason why I look at it. But anyway, man, let me get off of that. And let's really, really quickly get into 10K reports. So we've been talking about consolidated statements of comprehensive income and just been going through all the line items, um, just as far as like where the numbers are, different things that you can see as far as a company's finances. So uh, the last episode was retirement pension ben uh, benefits and expenses, more specifically 401ks. Today, we're going to briefly break down cash flow hedging instruments. What the hell is that? So you've got cash flow. It comes in. You're you're producing goods and services. Customers are buying them. There's going to be money that flows in. Let's just for the sake of, of time and for the sake of simplicity, let's just call that cash flow right now, even though technically it will be, uh, you know, revenue. Net, uh, then there will be, you know, net revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, we've talked about it in previous episodes. Anyway, cash flow comes in from the business. But then there's a hedge. So in, in, in terms of cash flow hedging instruments, what the hell is a hedge? A hedge in, in the simplest terms is like a protection against, you know, an opposing outcome of a financial instrument. So let's just quickly get into it. Cash flow hedging instruments. There's hedge accounting. Hedge accounting uses one entry to adjust fair value of a security and its opposing hedge. The purpose of a hedge is to reduce volatility associated with value fluctuations on an investment that is not directly related to the investment's performance. Now, cash flow hedging reduces exposure to volatility of cash flows from an existing asset or liability. The changes in cash flow must have potential to affect the company's earnings. So some examples of a cash flow hedging instrument would be variable interest rate assets or liabilities. Other examples are assets and liabilities that are denominated in foreign currency. And then uh, two more examples are forecasted purchases or sales and forecasted debt in, uh, issuances. Now, why would a company, and I want to break this down in the simplest terms possible, why would a company have cash flow hedges uh, in their consolidated statements of comprehensive income? Why would they even bother with having cash flow hedges? If you're thinking, well, well, a company has, you know, billions of dollars that they're that they're utilizing you know, and, and investing back into the business to grow, why would they need to hedge? There's a lot of different reasons why they would need to hedge. So companies like to buy other types of financial instruments and 
they will utilize these instruments in order to generate more cash flow so that they can, again, invest it back into the business or they can pay for executive compensation. So some examples would be, again, something like a very a variable interest rate asset. So it could be like a currency swap. Um, it could be like a derivative of some sort that goes in one direction. The other, the other goes in another direction. I don't really understand options that much, but basically it's like this. Okay. If you're looking at options, the little bit of research that I've done on options, why would you need a, why would you need a hedge, a cash flow hedge? Okay. If you're buying options and you're, you're thinking that the market is going to go down. So you want to, you want to, you want to buy some puts or sell some puts, whichever one. But, um, so you engage in some put options, but you understand that you could be wrong in your analysis and the market could move against you. If you're buying puts, that means you're betting that the price of a stock is going to go down. However, there could be something that comes out in the news or there could be something within the company that drives the stock price up. So what you do is you hedge your your quote unquote bet or your you hedge your option or your trade. Now you would do that by buying a call or selling a call. A call in options is when you are you're basically guessing or betting that the market or the stock price of a company is going to go up. So again, if you're buying a put, you're saying the price is going to go down. But if the market starts to go up and you don't have a cover, you're not covered, you're just doing a naked put, you're going to lose all types of money as the stock price rises if you're betting that it's going to go down. However, if you're buying puts because you're betting that the market is going to go down and you're wise enough to figure out, okay, I can do some, I could buy some covered calls. This this way, if the market goes against you and it doesn't go down and it starts to go up at some point when you hit um, when you hit a certain price point. You you your investment, you will start to make money or protect your downside as opposed to just the market going completely against you and getting wiped out um, by via your put option. So that's one reason why someone would have a, a, a hedge. And in this case, a cash flow hedge. Other reasons is foreign currency exchange rates. You know, currency is up and down for different reasons in different territories. The U.S. dollar, you know, it's done all types of craziness. Like it's 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 been up, it's been down. You know, in comparison to to other currencies over the last you know six to twelve months. And because of that, sometimes the dollar is really strong. Other times the dollar is extremely weak, but then when the dollar is weak, there are other currencies that are a lot stronger or better. So because of that, this is a reason, this is one reason why a company would have cash flow hedges. And then the other thing that I mentioned here at the end was uh, forecasted purchases or sales. So if a company is projecting in the future, hey, we're going to buy this much stuff or we're going to sell this much stuff that could drastically change the earnings that the company will receive or lose. Ergo, they would invest in 
or purchase some type of hedging instrument, something to protect them in case they didn't hit those numbers or in case they made less money or, or in case, you know, yeah, in case they made less money than what they were expecting to make. And then there's other things like debt instruments. And that's just a whole nother episode in and of itself. But yeah, things like bonds, uh, you know, treasury bonds, treasury bills, treasury uh, uh, exchange traded notes, those types of things have a lot of, you know, interest rate risk, currency risk, geopolitical risk. And because of that, you know, there's there's an unknown factor there. And because of that unknown factor, that's where you need a cash flow hedge, something to protect you from potential risk. That is essentially what a cat what what hedging is in investing. You're trying to protect yourself from unknown risk. Even if you know what the risk is, you still might need a hedge. Even though honestly, it really depends. Like hedges, one hedge could work. You know, one year, the next year, it might not even work. So it depends on so many different things. But that is the reason why a company would need cash flow hedges to protect their downside. Um. So yeah, man. Honestly, I want to wrap this up because I'm starting to ramble and some of this stuff, you know, as far as like options and everything. Yeah, I haven't really gotten deep into that yet. So I don't want to sound like too much of a moron, but hopefully you found this episode extremely useful and entertaining. And if you did, make sure you download, rate, comment and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. I got to get in here. I got to eat some food. I got to try to study a little bit, and then I got to try to spend time with some family, man. Um, So I'm about to get up out of here. Per the usual, you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.